I am taking your legal questions now here on WGN. Any legal question you have, it's something you saw in the news or something that's personal to you or friends or family members, I'm happy to try to uh, answer your question or steer you in the right direction. The number here is 312-981-7200. You can also text to that same number. I'll also give out my contact information at my office in case you do not want to talk on the radio and you want to talk to me privately. Uh, I'm happy to answer your question that way. My number at the office is 312-332-7800. But the best way to reach me, if you can, is on email because then I can read your email and hopefully uh, email you back with the information that you need or a referral to a lawyer maybe in your practice area or your uh, geographic area. I have a list of uh, uh, lawyers who I have worked with and who I've referred cases to uh, who I know are good and they're reputable and they're smart and they're reasonably priced and uh, I'm happy to give you that referral if you contact me. And that email address is wgn at askkarenconti.com. That's wgn at AskKarenConti.com. Um, I had a, a text earlier, um, and it was from a, a gentleman who said that he had just had his record expunged. I don't know what the actual crime was, uh, but he just got a jury summons, and there is a question in the jury summons um, that you have to answer that asks if you've ever been convicted of a crime. And he says, "Should I? how do I answer? And that's really a good question, and I've had that asked of me before. And generally what I tell people is that you can say... I've never been convicted of a crime because the expungement is as if it never happened. It basically just erases the uh, the crime. Um, and you can tell and for each your employer because it's not going to show up on a background check. Hopefully, uh, the background check will not show it up. It's not supposed to. It's because it's supposed to be taken off the record. But here's my issue. Let's just say that you answer no, and let's just say you serve on a jury, and let's just say the defendant gets convicted, and let's just say that someone finds out, like the lawyer for the defendant finds out that you were convicted of a crime, but you was it was expunged. That lawyer can now make an argument to the appellate court that you shouldn't have been sitting on the jury because had you had he known that you really were convicted of a crime, and yes, it was expunged, um, that 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 you would not have been selected for that case. I'm making up that 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 whole scenario, but again, it would create a problem uh, for the defendant, and you don't want to be part of that, right? You don't want to be having have a judge say to you, even though the judge probably wouldn't have a right to say to you, uh, "Hey, sir, why didn't you tell us that you had been convicted of a crime?" So you don't you don't you'd rather just have it be out in the open um, than then deal with the issue later uh, if it's going to come back to haunt you. And so what I suggest is if, it, if you feel uncomfortable in front of a jury pool of prospective jurors talking about your, your conviction and the expungement, ask the judge. Say, I've got something that it's, that's a little bit confidential. Can we talk in chambers about it? The judge could either you know say yes. The judge could say no. The judge could just release you from the jury. Um, but that's probably the best way to handle it, just to be safe and to be fair to uh, who was ever on trial, whether it's a criminal case or a, a civil case. Uh, let's go to Darren. Hi, Darren. Welcome to WGN. Hi, Karen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a public grade school across the street from me, and they have recently put in a beautiful new playground. Uh, we went to go use that playground yesterday and discovered that it was under lock and key. 
my question is, that's a, a, a public school, therefore the public should have access to that, obviously after school hours. I'm wondering if I'm completely off base, and if I'm not, how do I go about getting this lock removed? You know, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any knowledge at all about this issue, but I have seen playgrounds in public schools be locked. So, you know, and with this day and age of school shooters and things like that, my guess is that a public school has an absolute right to lock up its playgrounds, even though you're right, your taxpayer dollars are going to play. And, you know, my favorite uh, childhood uh, memories are going across the street to the school and playing in the playground and playing on the basketball hoops and playing fast pitch and all those fun things that, you know, because that was our park. That was where we we did our thing. But I think this in this day and age that they'd have a right to do that. You know what I want to do, Darren? I'm going to um, I'm going to ask a friend of mine uh, who is an education lawyer if he knows the answer to that question because it's an interesting one. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I look forward to listening for a response. All right, Darren. You take care. Uh, thanks. Um, let's go. Do we have a time for one more? We have time probably for one more. Hey, Paul. Welcome to the Karen Conti Show on WGN. How are you today? Hi, Karen. Thanks. Uh, I'm very good. How are you doing? Good. My question is, uh, a uh, business opened up next door to me. They bought the house next door to me, and um, he informed me of where the property lines were. And then uh, he went ahead and he paved an area for customers to sit down outside on my property, which, uh, oh. um, yeah, and you know, I, I really don't mind um you know, I don't want to be a Scrooge or anything or a bad neighbor, and I'm, I'm all for a local business. I want to support them, but my question is, am I liable, like, say, if somebody slips and falls or, um, you know, has an accident on my property? You know, this is a this is a really good question. First of all, you're, you sound like a nice guy, but they shouldn't have done that, and, uh, you know, you might want to make sure that that's the case. I, I assume you know where your property line is, but sometimes you actually need to bring somebody, a surveyor, out to actually know exactly where that property line ended. Um, yeah. And they, all, he, they also infringed on your property, so when it comes to selling it, is that going to be a selling problem because how would you like to know that part of your property has been paved by a business where there are patrons and they may have the same question you do which is what happens when someone slips and falls or there's an accident or an injury Um, I think this is a problem and I think that if personal injury lawyer and if there's a personal injury lawyer out there listening I know how they they act about these things where where something happens is very relevant because that's premises liability and they always are looking for pockets and deep pockets of course they're going to go after the business there but what happens if they some personal injury lawyer realizes that it's on your property and you did nothing to safe safe keep that property you know um Uh i think that you have an issue there and that you need to address with them without being like you say a scrooge or or a spoil sport but i think you've got enough interest here in getting this done right um why don't you give me a call at the office i have a lawyer friend who does this kind of stuff and maybe can Mm -hmm. give you some quick advice and 
uh, you know, just steer you in the right direction to figure out if you should do something, and if so, what and how. Okay, I'm going to yeah. give out my number here. Thank you for the call. 312-332-7800 or WGN at AskKarenConti.com. We'll be taking your legal questions here on WGN. On this day in 1963, some 200,000 people marched on Washington and listened to Martin Luther King give uh, his very famous I Have a Dream speech. It's a beautiful dream. You should Google it. Beautiful speech. You should Google it. That was 59 years ago today. Uh, Also, this day in legal history, which I do once in a while here, uh, was uh, 1968, protest at the Democratic National Convention fueled by opposition to the Vietnam War, culminated in the Battle of Michigan Avenue, which was a violent confrontation between demonstrators and police. If you watch the movie on the Chicago 7 trial, there was a really um, very graphic, very uh, realistic um, reenactment of that. Also, this day in legal history, on August 28, 1981, John Hinckley Jr. pled not guilty in an attempt to kill President Ronald Reagan. He spent 41 years in a mental facility. Uh, In 2016, he was released. And just a couple months ago, all of the restrictions that he had uh, issued by the judge were finally uh, released. And he is now um, walking around like the rest of us. Also, This day in legal history, 1957, uh, Senator Strom Thurmond began a 24-hour filibuster against the Civil Rights Bill. All those things happen on August 28th. We are taking your legal questions here on WGN. What you do is you call 312-981-7200. You talk to my very nice producer, Andrew. He'll ask you the pertinent parts of your question, and we'll get you on the air. Um, let's, uh, I, I got a texter from 815. We were talking about the fact that I had a listener who said that there was a public school across the street or nearby, and the uh, the playground was locked. Could they do that? I actually just uh, emailed my friend, who is a uh, lawyer, who practices in the area of education law. And he said, absolutely. He said they can do whatever they want to keep things safe, um, that there, there's no pu- public right to be on a public uh, to be on a playground of a public school, and that maybe in the past we all thought we could do that, but now they there's a real interest, obviously, in keeping schools safe, and they certainly can, um, and also for liability purposes, that if, if kids are playing outside the school times and um, when the school is open, that there are liability issues. And on my 815 area code, as a retired teacher, I can tell you that some of the tax-paying public ruined school playground access for the rest. Schools have to deal with vandalism of their playgrounds on a regular basis and yeah that's that's always always an issue um and another um Another listener said, hundreds of laws are passed each year. It's impossible to know all of them. Even my attorney missed one. I missed filing within a statute of limitations. The related federal statute had no limitation. How do I petition our legislator, legislature to remove the statute of limitations to conform with the federal statute? So one of the things, and, and, and one of the things that I would like to say is that Statute of limitations when it comes to filing civil lawsuits are 
etched in stone. There's no, okay, well, you're two days late. We're going to ask for mercy on the court. No, it is one of the most strict rules. So if you, so for instance, a personal injury case has to be brought within two years. Um, You know, certain defamation cases within a year. Uh, Written contract has to be brought within 10 years. So there's, and you, you can't wait to the last minute. The fact that your lawyer blew the statute of limitations is malpractice, sorry to say. Um, listener, uh, and you would probably have a right to sue your lawyer because um, breaching a statute of limitations is is a big no-no as a lawyer. And how would you petition the legislature? Uh, you'd probably have to write your local uh, congressman or your local uh, late uh, your state uh, congressman to change the statute of limitations if you think it's unfair or you think it should jibe with the federal statute. I don't know exactly what law you're talking about. Um, and again, you know, I'm not picking on lawyers here, but if you hired this lawyer, the lawyer should have known the statute of limitations. If you practice in an area and you're a competent lawyer, you know what the statute of limitations are in your particular area. And so perhaps you hired a lawyer who maybe shouldn't have been practicing in that area because those are the first things you do. Whenever you see a client and you have a case, you put it on your calendar. Ten years, you, you book that statute of limitations to make sure that you don't you don't blow it for the client and impact their ability to um, get recompense. All right, Steve, let's uh, go to your question here. Welcome to WGN. What's your question? Hi, Karen. My question is uh, regarding TV commercials, and it seems very prevalent over the last few years. An advertiser will advertise a, a product and, and give you the fee, the, the charge, the product costs, then they'll follow that up by saying the second one is free, just pay a separate fee. I would think that's more than just misleading. Isn't that criminal in some way? No, uh, you're saying so what? You, so like like they, they're, they're selling a mop and so they say, well, we'll throw in an extra one for free. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what they mean. They're giving, we'll give you the second one free. Just pay a separate fee. Well, well I, I, that's not synonymous. I don't think that's right. Well, I I don't think there's any, I mean, is, is it consumer fraud? From a legal standpoint, this is how lawyers think. You know, if I see that, I think that's, is that a little cheesy to say I'll throw in an extra one? Basically, they doubled the price of it, right? And then they told mm-hmm. you they're giving you two. So, I mean, of course, we all know that that's the case. Uh, some people fall for that and say, wow, I'm getting something for nothing. But is that consumer fraud? And my guess is that's been tested. My guess is lawyers have tried to say that's consumer fraud, but I'll bet that the courts have all said that we all know when when uh, companies do that what they're doing is doubling the price and giving you giving you two of them you know so i don't think they would have got rid of that in the old days but i thank you very much for your explanation we appreciate it very much Karen. all right steve buy that extra mop for me okay <laughs> okay all right, bye-bye. <laughs> actually i don't want a mop um Let's. Uh, we, our phone lines are wide open. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. I had a text that said, "Is it legal for my landlord to forcibly remove me and my property from the unit?" Um, no, it is not. Uh, you might think as a landlord you have the right to do it, and you might think as a tenant the landlord has an absolute right to do that. But no. The landlord has to follow the laws of eviction, which are very set in place. 
Uh, there's a lot of websites in Illinois that you can go to to know what your rights are as a land uh, tenant and what your duties are as uh, a landlord, and you have to do it correctly. But you are never, as a landlord, allowed to physically remove somebody from your premises, even if they're there after their lease, even if they've breached the lease, and even though you're in the middle of eviction procedures. The only people who can do this are sheriffs and law enforcement people. Otherwise, we have vigilante justice, and you just can't can't do that. So from for if landlords are listening, don't do that because you could be arrested for that. And if you're a tenant, what you should do is call the police because they have no right to be throwing your stuff out the door. Again, I always tell people when you're in this situation, try to work it out with your landlord. Listen, if you have trouble leaving a place because you've been there for a while and you don't have the money to pay and you're being evicted, Work out a deal with the landlord to stay an extra 10 days or two weeks or whatever it is and and make good on your promise to leave when you say you're going to do that because you don't want this kind of controversy. And now with people having guns, uh, everyone has a gun. You just don't want to get into an altercation with somebody uh, when, when all these uh, emotions are running high, as you know. Let's take a break, and I've got some more callers here. We've got Tony on line one, 312-981-7200 with your legal questions. We're taking them all the way to the 5 o'clock on WGN. I'm taking your legal questions here, 312-981-7200, and let me give out my office number in case you want to do it more privately, 312 312- Three three two seven eight zero zero, and the best way to do it is not phone, but uh, my email address: wgn at askkarenconti dot com. You can look at uh, the WGN website for the spelling of my name, and I think my uh, that that email address should be on there. If it's not, Drew is going to put it up there: askkarenconti dot com. And uh, you know what you'll do is just give me a little synopsis of what's going on, what county you're in, when this happened, and by the way, um, we're talking about statute of limitations and um, one of the people uh, who texted in said that the lawyer blew the statute of limitations. It's different than the state. is different than federal. And, you know, I just want to say it again. Um, ignorance of the law is no defense. That's exactly right, says one of the texters here. But I, I think what you need to know is that uh, the statute of limitations, you know, you, you can Google it, but you got to be really sure of what your what your case is, because there's personal injury, there's uh, injury with with property damage, there's oral contracts, there's written contracts, there are all different uh, statute of limitations. So it's really best, um, you know, you can Google it, of course, but there's, and there's, and there's not really a place to go where all the statute of limitations are in one place. Uh, I used to have a list uh, many years ago, but I don't know that uh, it's still around and I don't know that the statutes are still the same. But again, um, you might want to consult with the lawyer in that particular uh, area of concentration. Otherwise, you might be out of luck. And never, ever wait to the last minute. When it comes to employment cases, when it comes to different kinds of cases, people say, oh, it was two years ago. Well, it might just be too late to bring that lawsuit to assert your rights. So if you want to assert your rights, do them right away. Tony, welcome to WGN. What's your legal question? Hello, thank you for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. What's your question? In the event that you're pulled over for DUI, what would be your lawyer's preferred methods so that he can represent you to his fullest ability? What, uh, in the event that you're pulled over, what would uh, the preferred action of yours be? Because I've heard that uh, some lawyers would prefer you not to blow in the breathalyzer, and others uh, have, have counteracted that side of it. 
Yeah, all lawyers have a maybe a slightly different uh, view on this. I say if you've had anything to drink, you refuse to blow. You will lose your license for a period of time, but the only reason they're giving it to you is because they think that you're drunk. And they're not doing it. They're doing it to, to get evidence against you. They're not doing it to figure it out because they've already determined by the smell, by the way you're driving, by the way you're talking, um, that you are intoxicated. So if you've had any drinks at all, I would say do not blow and take the consequences. Um, because a lawyer well, on the on the not blowing, um, it's a little more difficult to prove beyond to prove uh, a DUI, and I think most DUI lawyers will tell you that. If you've had nothing at all to drink, take it because that's going to show that you're you don't have anything in your system. Um, I hope that answers your question. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you very much. All right, Tony, take care of yourself. Um, and let's see. Uh, I had a question from a texter. What is the difference between mediation and arbitration? If I want to find a good mediator for my divorce, where do I go? Well, there is a big difference between arbitration and mediation, and I think a lot of people confuse the two. Arbitration is just like going to court with the judge, except you do it privately. You hire an arbitrator who might be a retired judge or just a lawyer, and that person will hear your case, maybe on an expedited basis with limited uh, discovery and different procedures, but that will be arbitrated, meaning there will be a ruling, and that ruling can then be turned into a, a legal judgment. Um, and so basically, it's on the merits. Mediation is not an adjudication. It's not a judging of the case. A mediation is to bring two parties together to agree to a resolution that is amicable and that is agreeable to both parties. So divorce is definitely a place where you want to mediate if you possibly can. Why? Because you have issues that are emotional. You have children at stake. And when you go to court on those kinds of issues, you have a person in a robe who works for the government who's making decisions about the most important things in your life, where your children live, where they go to school, what religion they practice, who keeps a house, you know, who gets support. And all of those things are are crucial in how your life is going to go down the line. And I personally would not want a government, I don't care how good the judge is, I don't care how sophisticated that judge might have two or 300 cases on his or her call, and, and may not have the time to pay attention to your very specific facts. So any agreement that you can make is probably better than leaving it to somebody who doesn't know you and your family. So mediation is always a good route, and a good mediator can try to bring you together and, again, reach an agreement that can then be put into court papers that will make it legal and enforceable. So that's the difference in a nutshell. Uh, let's go to Vicki. Um, Vicki, you have a question. It looks like something about a malpractice case, I think. Oop. Hi. Oops, sorry. I'm going to put you back on hold. Can you um? Can you get rid of that? Okay. Is, are we ready? Are we ready for Vicki? Yeah, we're ready for Vicki. Hey, Vicki. Welcome to the show. Okay. Hi. Hi. I have a, my question is this. My son, uh, he has heard transplant done few years ago. First time they did perfect job. The second time when they did, there was different doctor, probably different nurses or maybe more even than one, one doctor. I think it's more doctor than one. And they give him infection. There was first with MRSA, then come to the um, micro infection. I have no idea what the micro infection is. He has. He took so much medicine. I got the three, three or four plastic bags with medicine. 
and is a little bit better, but he lost the hair. He still has to. He has to be careful what he's eating, what he's drinking. Okay. Okay, Vicky. Before you get into the the deep into the facts, are you asking me? Is it malpractice for your son to have gotten an infection from an operation? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Okay. And so the answer to that is, you need to get a lawyer to look at that. Now, here here's how a lawyer looks at that. The lawyer will look at the type of operation and what the known side effects and ramifications might be. And my guess is that most operations have a risk of having infection. It's just part of the risk of having an operation in a hospital. And that happens even in the best of hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it may be that you signed some sort of uh, release that said that you understand that infection is a known side effect risk, etc. Now, you know, it depends on, you know, again, how bad the infection was, the nature of the infection, um, and, and, and the type of operation. So I think what I would like to do, uh, Vicki, why don't you call my office? I have a lawyer who does malpractice. I don't do that kind of work. Let me give it to him. He may have uh, some of his medical professionals that he hires look at the records, because you'll have to probably get the records. Um, but he, Or he may tell you that just th- he knows that this kind of operation generally has some risk of this kind of um um, side effect. So can I put you on hold? Um, and uh, Drew, can you give her my phone number and the uh, email address? Okay. And that's 312-332-7800. And better yet, WGN at AskKarenConti.com. Um, there was a question about a successor guardian. And I'm not quite sure I understand the texter, but wants to know if a guardian dies, what happens? Is there a successor guardian? And again, if it's in paperwork that there is a guardian, there should be a successor one named. But let's just say that the person that has been the guardian of a disabled person you would have to go back to court and have a new guardian appointed. And I don't know if it's a public guardian from the Cook County Public's Guardian's office. That might just be another person appointed from that office. Or if it's a private guardian, then the court would appoint uh, somebody to do this job um, to succeed in the, you know, in, in the process. I hope that answers your question. Um, please, please remind your listeners there's absolutely no reason to drive after drinking, especially now in this day of Uber, Lyft, and public transportation. Thank you so much for saying that. I should have said that, and I, I really agree. And let me add to that. I have seen so many lives really destroyed by this type of thing. And, you know, you don't want uh, to, you know, if you're you're drinking unexpectedly at a bar or a family party or whatever, it is worth $30 or 40 even even $100 to get yourself home safely and without a charge. Because let me tell you, if you have a DUI, it's going to cost you a lot more than a hundred dollars, and it's going to cost you. Uh, it's going to cost you maybe your job and maybe your family, and so that's very good advice. And I was really remiss in not saying that. Uh, thank you so much for all of your questions, and thank you for my guest. Uh, we will be back on the air next week on Labor Day weekend. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the great Rick Kogan here on WGN.